Hi, I'm Dave Merlino. I'm Dustin Sweet, and this is the Know Their Story podcast. We talk to veterans about their time in service, returning home from war, and transitioning out of the military. Hopefully along the way, we'll inspire you to do the same with a veteran in your life. Because sometimes all it takes to make the world a better place is sitting down with a friend to know their story. Welcome back, season three. Welcome yeah. back, Dave. Three of the Know Their Story podcast. It's been so long, I almost forgot the name of our podcast. <laughs> um, but welcome, everyone. Welcome to Partner in Crime, Dustin Sweet, wearing a tie to make me look bad. And welcome to today's guest, Mr. Michael Schindler. Yeah, yeah great to be here, guys. Yeah, I know okay. Dustin's looking so great. I'm, I'm feeling like I should probably dress up. But... I, uh, it's the, it's the, just the juxtaposition between the Vegas and the tie. Don't, the, if I have just the mohawk on, it doesn't work. I'm just a, <laughs> just a guy with a mohawk, but if I have the suit on, then it's okay. It kind of it kind of flies. Yeah, got it. Well, I'm wearing time. the hat, or else the light just bounces off my head. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so we figured out long ago. Um, but anyway, I just realized I was remiss. Usually, I have this all set, but Mike, why don't you give? I, I know that you are a veteran coordinator. You know, veteran yourself. Yeah. Um, but we'll just get right into it. And I don't want to steal your thunder, Dustin. Uh, go ahead and, and ask your ceremonial first oh question. Oh Are we going to drive, drive right in like that? Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right, Mike, how did you uh, decide to join the armed forces? Yeah, so it, it's such a great question. Um, for me, uh, so my family has essentially been in the military, grew up on military installations. Um, I actually wanted to be an actor growing up as a kid so I was in theater and I had a scholarship to New York performing arts and all this stuff you know back in the 80s and and uh, I thought man I'm gonna be you know I'm gonna be somebody in the movies and and uh, I went to the theater one day I was 16 never forget it and I was like every other 16 year old boy out there I wasn't quite sure if I was going to be like an actor or if I was going to be Perry Mason, right? If you guys remember who Perry yeah. Mason is, yeah, yeah. like I'm going to be an attorney. And so I'm sitting in this movie theater and I'm watching this movie. And as soon as the movie was done, I knew exactly what I was doing. I mean, I walked out of that theater. I called my dad and uh, I said, I, I know exactly what I'm doing. I'm going to be Tom Cruise. I'm going to fly cool jets and I'm going to date Kelly McGillis. And I drove, no lie, over to the recruiter's office. I walked in there. This guy is sitting there in his dress, pressed whites. And I walk in, I said that exact thing to him. I'm like, you just need to know, you know, every 16-year-old boy has that cocky attitude. And I'm like, I'm Tom Cruise. I'm going to fly your cool jets. And I'm going to date Kelly McGillis. And he's like, come and sit down. And, <laughs> and uh, sure enough, and uh, I signed, and then that weekend, no lie, that weekend, it was down in Vancouver, Washington, that weekend, he said, hey, why don't you uh, show up? Uh, we're playing volleyball. And if you guys remember the scene, and I'm like, oh, my God, this is just, this is so amazing. <laughs> and I, sure enough, played volleyball with all these other poor suckers that got, you know, into this thing. And, and it was, it was the it was like i'm in i'm totally in and and then boot camp happened and that was never in the movie but uh um but i was just kind of carrying on a family tradition you know i was like you know I, I, every every you know my my biological dad my grandfather uh my uncle um 
on my biological side, they, uh, they all served, you know, my stepdad, he served, he was, he was guard, but he was a civil engineer for the army corps. So I, I grew up around it. And so for me, it just seemed like, well, this is kind of what you do, you know, this is, sure. you serve your country. So. I yeah. saw an interview with Tom Cruise who said he's got so many guys who come up to him. And they're like, you son of a bitch. You're the reason I joined. The <laughs> <laughs> well, it was the best recruiting film. Like if you guys do your history, you know, when you look yeah. at that, it grows like over $300 million. It still makes money today. And it's still one of the primary reasons why people get in. And, you know, the, the second movie is coming out. I was supposed to come out in 2020, 2020. right? Yeah. And so now I'm just waiting, like, oh, my God, I cannot wait, you know, until this, like, I'd probably want to join again. I don't, you know, so. So did you, know. you end up as a fighter pilot? In I did not. Else? So the Navy had other plans for me. Uh, I got in and um, I was part of a, a uh, officer training program and, and um, I was a personnelman. So I joke. That's how I got my, my call sign, which was Shindog, last name Schindler. Uh, dog secretary you guys can understand you know what the other definition of you know the other terminology for dog is but the so that was kind of my uh um uh but i was assigned to eod explosive ordinance and um so i you know i gotta learn how to dive and i gotta learn deep water dive and you know a number of different cool stuff uh but no i i did not fly cool jets i uh i yeah i didn't get to do and I didn't date Kelly McGillis, so that didn't happen either. So, yeah. So, but uh, deep water dives and explosive uh, ordinances is, is nothing to shake a stick at. Yeah, I was going to say, okay, we got to talk about this for a second. Usually, I like to jump right ahead to being back in the states and being a civilian, but uh, I want to I want to talk about underwater explosives. Well, you know, so again, I was just a personnel guy, right? So my sure. job was to just document everything that either did happen or didn't happen or never, you know, maybe it did or maybe it didn't happen, right? Yeah. Like, you know, can neither confirm nor deny stuff. Wait. And so I was, uh, yeah, I was on an ammo auxiliary ship that was uh, commissioned in 1954. So right at the tail end of the Korean War. Um, and I think it was made with bubble gum and, you know, barbed wire. Because I swear to God, that thing, it'd get up to 23 knots and you'd feel it like you'd like shaking your bones because we're going, you know, full speed ahead and just like. Um, but we carried those things that we don't talk about on board that ship. And so, you know, we had a, a nuke response team on there. Um, uh, you know, certainly we did, you know, different evolutions, things like that, you know, different training things. Um I never had to take part in, you know, seeing the guys, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. shut a bomb off or turn a bomb off, or I don't even remember the terminology any, anymore, but like, you know, uh, detonate any of that. So we were pretty fortunate. Um, and then when I uh, transitioned off of uh, my two year active duty tour, um, and again, you know, the Navy's got benefits because I was I was stationed out at sea. So, uh, you know, I, I wasn't assigned to a SEAL team, so I never did anything in theater. Um, I was assigned to a shipboarding team and and uh, I saw a lot of ocean uh, and a lot of different ports. Um, and there's some amazing stories that I, I like can tell. I like that the Navy is like, you're sort of safe. We're going to put you on this house and it's going to float around and probably nothing bad will happen but if it does these are sharks they're following you right. uh, <laughs> well 
and we would always joke that we're like uh when you're when you're with the rest of the fleet when you're on a deployment they either put you in the center of it right because you're protected by all the other ships or you're trailing it like you're out there on your own well, yeah, and totally by yourself yeah so yeah, right so we always joke that we're on a you know we're on a floating bomb I mean, because of all the stuff we had on there, like we would light up the, you know, we'd light up the world if anything yeah. happened. So, um, and, you know, that would make a difference whether or not we could go into some ports or not. So you, you always knew that we were carrying interesting material when you could not go into port. So yeah. why don't yeah. you just stay out there? Why don't you hang yeah. out over there? Yeah, exactly. Like, mm, yeah, you got to take the skiff in. Why? Yeah. Yeah, you well, know why. Yeah. Yeah. So do you have any, you know, you read on the internet, like stories from sailors who just, you know, unexplainable things out on the ocean in the middle of the night or anything. You see anything? Hey, you see any cool monsters? Yeah, you know, um, no, I mean, I, I didn't see any, no, I didn't see anything like that. Uh it's interesting because when you're out at sea and you're doing roving patrols, so we do these roving patrols, right? So roving patrol is you're on with a 45, you know, in the event, essentially what you're making sure is nobody jumps off the boat, I think more or less than somebody, you know, coming as a fast attack, but we'd always have to be cautious if we were in the Indian ocean or somewhere close to, you know, some unfriendly areas. Um, you know, we had a crew of like 236 and it was like a, it was like a big brotherhood. I mean, it was pretty amazing. You know, we, we, uh, we crossed the equator together, which is the whole share, you know, shellback ceremony. If you've never heard those stories, um, I don't know how much I can legally say anymore without, you know, people getting in trouble, but back then you could do some pretty interesting things. Um, my claim to fame was Neptune's bride. I got voted by the ship to be Neptune's bride, which is horrible. It was, it was horrible. Uh, because I had to get a, a uh, like a size two mini skirt black dress, shave my legs, and stand next to Neptune, who was the most senior chief uh, who had crossed the equator. And I, I, you know, at first I was like, God, I can't even believe I got voted to be Neptune's bride. This is horrible. But it was actually turned out pretty well because I got to stand next to the chief who had, you know, fat belly, never would have passed PT test. Um, <laughs> But everybody had a suck. Every every polywog, let's call them, okay, wog. Yep. Uh, anybody that hasn't crossed the equator yet had it on their knee. Had to get down on their hands and knees and suck a cherry out of the chief's greased belly button, right? <laughs> and then and then they had to go to me and kiss my feet. And I'm thinking, wow, this is pretty great because my <laughs> lieutenant commander, you know, you know, is there. <laughs> You know, I happened to pass. And then they got to go through the hot box, which is filled with just trash and garbage and just baking in the Indian Ocean and, you know, get hit with fire hoses. And I mean, you know, so Neptune's Bride wasn't all that bad. I had shaved legs for about a week and, you know, had to wear a miniskirt. That, that's a fair trade off. <laughs> I thought it was. I didn't have to suck the, the cherry out of the belly hole. So it's, uh, you know, I'm still scarred by it. Yeah. Bad. So, you didn't have to do it you just have to watch everybody else do i had to watch everybody do it i'm like god that's so gross gosh can't even believe it so yeah but it creates a brotherhood right yeah. i mean it creates something where you're just like man you know we'll do anything for you guys you know we, we would just 
it's such a great experience. And I think everybody should do it in some way, like give back to their nation. I don't care if it's teachers across borders or if it's, you know, you know, the, the Peace Corps or something. But I think I think every 18 year old should have to give two years of time. And it, because it just changes your mindset, changes your mentality. It changes it changes your outlook on life. And I don't know, you just learn. And when you're part of different cultures, I mean, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, I mean, just from the exposure level, and I even have this talk, you know, I'll be talking with my mom or talking with someone about COVID or something. And Dust and I drove, drove around the country during COVID and saw all these communities. And I'll tell you what, you get out of the big cities, it's a different mindset. It really is, yeah. Oh, yeah, and just when we drove around and just talked to people from around the country, and it is to get that exposure outside just what your neighborhood is experiencing was, I I found it to be one of the better things that we've done. And and amazing thing is no matter where we were, everyone would ask, what are they thinking in the other area? Like, what's being said? in the other yeah. areas of the country and yeah, it was nice you find out it's not that different <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's it kind of nice to to have to kind of have that information and to, to be able to just talk to people and be like nah it's fine you know people in people yeah. in don't care or, or people in uh, people in seattle care a lot and they're all really scared or, or you just back and forth because everybody had so much i think there was so much um just unknown you know yeah it's really nice yeah. to be able to put yeah. that and so like when I think saying- that perspective, you know, when you get outside, like being in the military, you're dealing with unknowns all the time, right? You're, you're dealing with the unknown unknowns, right? Like, so you're, you're having to assess and make decisions pretty quickly. You know, uh, you know, the, the Air Force has something called the OODA loop, right? Where you observe, you orient yourself, you decide and you act, right? And so when you gain a mindset of, okay, there is uncertainty no matter what I'm doing, like I might think that, you know, my routine is normal and this is what I do. And that's, you know, that's the interesting thing that I found with COVID guys was, you know, for, you know, the, the, the organization that, that, um, that I run operation military family, working with transitioning service members, it, it always was working with these guys and, and trying to get the rest of the world to understand what transition was like, mm. right. You know, like, what do you do when every day is different? And what do you do when, um, you know, the things that you're used to get upended or you have to move every two years, right? That's the life of a veteran, essentially, right? Like every day is a different day. Now, there's some routines, but, you know, every day is kind of a different day. What now the whole world went through that. The whole world went through a major transition, right? When you think about it, like everything that was routine for everybody suddenly got flipped upside down. Just smashed, yeah. Right? Like, yeah. Well, I can't see my family. I can't go to holidays. I can't, you know, I, I can't do this. I can't do that. And I'm thinking, wow, you know, uh, guess what? There's like 1% of the population that's doing that every single day. Yeah. One is like uh, handling it better than everyone else too. You know, like the, the adversity of all the changes of COVID. Everybody I talked to who's a vet was just like, oh yeah, it's different now. Do, 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 do. Like <laughs> on, their, on their way, no big deal. Uh, yeah. Meanwhile, I'm talking to my friends who uh, have only, you know, lived in one place their entire life and, and they can't all of a sudden they're, you know, they're wildly inconvenienced and, and it's the worst thing that ever happened to them. And I'm like, 
Okay, well. <laughs> yeah, on. yeah. Well, I've, I found out that my lifestyle is apparently other people <laughs> call social isolation. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, there was some benefit. Like, and now we, you know, we joke. I'm like, oh, can I get away with the, I think I've been exposed to COVID to get out of family events or, you know, I mean, there are some funny things that come out of this, but, you know, as we all come out of this, you know, in 2022, you know, two years later, you know, my hope and prayer for people is that they, that they, that they number one, know who they are, but number two, that they understand that, you know, life, we're here for such a finite amount of time. Yeah. Like such a, like if, if you believe in eternity and I don't know what people's faith walk is, but you know, for, I, I tend to believe in eternity. So that, that, that means the, the peace that I have here is like really rare. You know what I'm saying? Like it's really unique. So that means every day is like super valuable. And so I hope that as people emerge out of this, they realize that, you know, your family members are valuable. Your friendships are valuable. The time that you spend in fellowships valuable, like, I do hope that people realize, you know, I need to make every day count because I don't know what tomorrow holds. I mean, tomorrow might be it. I'm, I might not wake up like, yeah. you know, so. Well, one day you won't. Well, and one the, day you won't. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's the one guarantee, right? We, yep. we know that, you know, people are like, well, taxes. And I'm like, well, some people seem to get away with not paying those, but, <laughs> but, you know, guaranteed that nobody's getting off this planet alive. So, you yes. know. Yeah, it's true. It's true. That's right, Dustin. We might, I mean, who knows? It might change in 10 years. So yeah, I mean, that was a huge mind shift. Mind shift change for me is my dad died at 64. I had dinner with him the night before. Everything was great. He had an aortic dissection the next day, like gone before he hit the ground. Like he was oh. fine. And and I looked around and I thought, you know, and I was working for the government at that point. And his funeral was, I mean, packed. He, you know, he left behind this legacy, this business, all these relationships. And I, when I went back to work at customs, like, yeah, I was, you know, I was a GS 13, had my own office, ran my teams. And I thought, you know, if I get hit by a bus tomorrow, which could happen, I could yeah. get hit by a bus driving home tonight. Everyone would say, oh, that was sad. And then my teams will get reassigned and the new supervisor will take over my office That's and right. life will go on. And so, you know, I just thought, I want to go build something rather than just do something. Yeah. So, I hope uh, the rest of the world realizes that too, that, you know, we're all here to, to make a, a difference, right. You know, in our sphere, you've got a sphere of influence. You're You're going to, you're going to impact that some way, somehow, if you're miserable, I mean, I tell guys now today, like if you're miserable, stop doing it. Like, yeah. I mean, you're writing your own story. So is that what you want your story to be? This story of misery? Like you get to the end of your life, you're like, man, I wish I could do a do-over. I mean, just write it the way you want because Dave, you're so right. And Dustin, you know, this is something that we realized we do uh, all through COVID. We did this too. We do these Tuesday gatherings called the Holy Smokes uh, gathering. It's a bunch of guys that get together and they smoke cigars and drink wine and bourbon and scotch and whatever that they want to drink. Awesome. I know, right? And so big fire pit and you know, there's some guy. There were some guys there that, uh, you know, they certainly got COVID and they got a few other things. And there was one guy there that um, was a former Navy guy. He uh, was older, Vietnam era, and uh, you know, probably smoked too many cigars and he was a little overweight. And you know, anyway, he got COVID and he didn't make it. I mean, he, he you know, he passed on. And uh, 
they had a memorial for him. It was great. And, I, you know, every Tuesday I go back and I sometimes think about him because I'm like, he's not here. But to your point, Dave, life goes on. Right. Yep. So that's why if we realize if there's anything, if there's anything that we can do to honor those 900,000 people that died or whatever, however they died. Right. But if we can honor those people by doing our part, that's what I think people need to do as a wake up at it is go okay so what's my part yeah in this world you know yeah where do i fit and how do i make it better how do i make it better yeah you know well and that's what you know doing this movie and doing this podcast has taught us too i actually have a line in the movie of you know people you know make the world a better place or leave the world a better place than you found it and i think too many people think that means I've got to cure cancer or I've got to do this big yeah. thing to change the world. Like, no, it's the line is not change the world. It's just make the world a better place. And maybe that's yeah. just seeing someone and saying, I like your, Oh, I really love your shirt today. And yeah. it makes them happier. Or, you know, for us, we sat down and, you know, we always say we talked to veterans, but we didn't, we listened yeah. to them and we've tracked it over the years. And, just that small thing of someone hearing their story, um, you know, it it has improved their outlook, which technically leaves the world a better place than we found it. I, I think that's so powerful. I mean, the story that you guys have created through that film, you know, it, number one, welcoming these guys home, right? Because Vietnam was one was that era that, you know, those they didn't they didn't want anybody to know that they were coming home they wanted to come home but they you know they wanted to be home but they didn't want to let anybody know what they'd done for the last three you know four years or however many tours like my biological dad did two and a half tours in vietnam right so you know that there was a period of time that was just a scar on america and to your point to be able to listen to people and i think it's uh we have this saying here where we say um how you change the world is one person at a time Right. That's really how you change the world is one person at a time. And and to your point, Dave, that could be just sharing your smile with somebody or even more importantly, you know, listening to them. Right. Quick to listen, slow to speak. Right. I mean, and that's what you guys have done with this film. You gave these guys an opportunity to just kind of share their story and, and get it out. And I'm sure there was such a healing process for that. And that I think that's so important as storytellers to be able to give people somebody to relate to but it's always therapeutic for those who are in the film right yeah. you know when, when we did our film you know here we were in the middle of covid and you know we had all these amazing speakers that were like they had nothing to do and they said well yeah we'll give back right because they want to share right yeah, at the end of the day yeah yeah, yeah. so all give right, people an opportunity hold on, hold on. We're, we're jumping ahead we're jumping ahead uh <laughs> Because I really want to talk about your film. Um, <laughs> well, I don't want to uh, talk about that yet. I, I I want to keep talking about your guys' film. I mean, I love the fact that you're giving them just this huge opportunity. You know, it's to cool, just, man. It's been yeah. really cool to talk to those guys and just like, uh, you know, in, in terms of like being good documentarians, I don't think we passed the test because we made friends with all those guys and now we're having barbecues with them and like, like they became our friends. So yeah, uh, that's not really great documentarian. Uh, hold on. <laughs> Supersize me. <laughs> was in that. 
Uh, there's never been a Michael Moore movie he hasn't wanted to put himself in, so I don't really think we're breaking the wheel here. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm just, I'm just saying. Um, it, they're such good guys, and it's so easy to hang out with them. And like, um, uh, you would want every one of those dudes to live next door to you. They're all yeah. such good people, and and the cross section of America that they create is so amazing. Um, the part where they're all from different parts of the country and they all went back to different parts of the country. Like when we, whenever we see them at a reunion, who's the, who's the guy who came out, it had been his first, we thought that they had seen each other like six months ago and they hadn't seen Uh, each other for like. Danny and Paul. Yeah. And and they just like, like they just fell in thick as thieves with their regular crowd and it didn't seem like any kind of thing. And if you told me, you know, when they told me they hadn't seen each other, you know however long 30 years or whatever that was just like flabbergasted yeah because no time had passed at all for those boys and yeah they were all you know back to it well it's, the it's, one that got me was paul mccord who's been a guest <clears throat> on this podcast he was search going through facebook and someone had been tagged in one of our pictures we you know we put up a throwback thursday of, of apache troop and he looked at it and said, hey, that's me in that photo. And then he saw that Doc Del Valley had been tagged in it. And so he reached out to Doc and, you know, found him on Facebook. And then Doc said, hey, we're having a reunion in D.C. And then Paul ended up going to the reunion and being the first time that they'd seen him there. You know, talk about making the world a better place because yeah. I needed a yeah. post on a throwback Thursday. And I was like, hey, this one. This one seems like good quality when you're dealing with Polaroids from 50 years ago. <laughs> and I just and it, happened to put it up that day. And it so was. cool. It is good quality, man. That's exactly. That's so cool. Yeah. So I do yeah. have a question. You know, Austin says we're getting ahead. I do want to circle back to one thing because it does tie into in terms of coming home. Yeah. Yeah. You're out on the boat. Ship, yeah. Vessel. I don't want to use, you know, I know everyone's got their preferred term. I don't want them to yell at me. Um, And with that cargo that you're carrying, you know that if you're told that it needs to, to fly somewhere, it's, you know, we're talking about massive destruction. Did you ever just sit there and look at it and think, holy crap, like, look at this responsibility. You were probably what 20 yeah in here with with these weapons and and knowing what they could do i mean did that i don't know if like when you were on you know out in the middle of the ocean or when you came home like what what is that process like for he's you i never thought about it before he's just crushing his mind right now it's just yeah <laughs> no it's weird because you get there and you're just like well this is my job right but when you think about it when you look back and and actually when i've toured uh, different ships and even submarines and i see who's running those things you know like the chiefs are 27 years old, you know, and I'm like, my gosh, uh, which we all thought was old back then. Right. Cause we're all like, you know, the captain's 40, you know, uh, you know, and barely, you know, the captain's barely gone through puberty at that point. So, you know, when you look at the rest of the world and you think about who's running our military and the responsibility that are placed on the shoulders of, of young men, uh, and women today, um, I guess I never thought about it. I just always went, no, nah, this is my job. Like if they say I need to do it, then, you know, this is what I do. You know, I'm doing it because my purpose was clear. The military was really good about that, Dave and Dustin, which, you know, my purpose was to help save the world from bad people. So I knew that anything that I did, if I was commanded to do it, that it was for one purpose, to help save the world from bad people. That was it. So 
it was really easy to go ahead and answer the call, right? Um, the missions were easy because it was like, well, this is what we do in order to help save the world from bad people, right? Um, my identity was really clear because that was the uniform I wore and, you know, the insignias that I had, you know? So that, that was really easy. When I transitioned out, it was really kind of hard because the rest of the world hadn't caught up, right? right? Like well, I, your, I was sitting, your MO had changed, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, I was like now a civilian, essentially, right? You know, still on Navy orders, but now I'm a civilian, and and civilians don't know what the heck they're doing. They're like, you know, <laughs> I'm 50 and still trying to figure out my life, right? You know, and here I am, 20, and I'm like, man, I've already seen a lot, done a lot, been around, had a lot of responsibility, and now I'm with a bunch of college kids who their big deal is like, hey, can't wait till we do, you know, the big, you know, party with the beer and booze in the bathtub and you know it's going to be amazing right and i'm thinking why okay uh so transition for me was hard uh because i was so used to that brotherhood and i i I tell people i mean i i jumped after after college i jumped through 14 jobs wow looking yeah yeah looking for that fellowship well did you have that thought of i used to work with nuclear material and now you know we're worried about you know i don't selling another car you know whatever yeah oh yeah totally i mean the the things that were i mean i guess i it changes your perspective i think what you're getting at dave and dustin is is the things that seemed really important before were you know before i joined the service were certainly less important after when i got out Right. Because I would always think, well, nobody's shooting at me. And really, is that really that important? Like, it's not going to matter like next week. So is it really like, why are we getting all spun up on this? Um, And I would say that that's pretty much how I've been able to manage. Although, you know, if somebody slights my daughter or her soccer team, I tend to be that dad that wants to go ape crazy. But we don't uh, know anything about that. Right. (laughs) No, no. Yeah. I think yeah. my wife liked to do the scorebook at the basketball games because then she would be at the score table next to me. And every once in a while, just be like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it, it, yeah, you just, you, your perspective changes. Um, I, <clears throat> it, that, that's why I jumped through 14 jobs. Right. It was because I was like, really? This is what people do? This? Like forever? You do this forever? Like, well, yeah, no, this is, you could be, you could be like me 20 years from now. I'm like, oh gosh, I don't want to do that. So, I'm going to have to go right now. Yeah, right now. And I did, I would, I'd be like three months and I'm like, I, I was like speed dating through jobs. I mean, yeah, that's great. You, you know, I was like, oh, that one doesn't work. Oh, that doesn't work. Oh, you know, I mean, I got my series six and 63 license. Cause I thought, man, I just want to, you know, I want to be the, the next Gordon Gecko and like, I needed to stop watching movies because it was you know, Top Gun that got me in. And that was Wall Street that was getting me into the financial sector. And, you know, um, and I, oh, gosh, it, you know, and that lasted six months. You know, that was like one of my longest jobs. And then I became a project manager and that lasted seven years. But I was, I didn't have an office to go to. I was like, here's, when tele- here's the question about that, because project management has that same team building piece to it is that where you started putting together that team building was really where you where you really wanted to go with your life yeah i realized that you know what i want to do is really construct teams i want to i want to manage projects i want things to be different every day 
Um, I don't want to just be the guy that has to show up and file things in a file cabinet. Yeah. You know, I, I want to, I want to make a difference. And um, I mean, I love what I do now because now I just work with transition service members, right? I get them back on mission purpose identity. When they get out of the service, we help them narrow, you know, what they want to do in their life, like recreate your story. What do you want your story to be? Let's help you get there. It's different for every person, right? It's not like cookie cutter, like, okay, well, Dustin and Dave, it's the same blueprint for both of you. It's not that at all. Right. So I love it from that regard. And I get to do cool other stuff, you know, work with, you know, people that are amazing. I mean, that's, it's, you know, yeah. if I die tomorrow, I'm not disappointed. Yeah. yeah. I think that, I think that right there is such a big driver for me. You know, um, I think, I think I figured that out before I met Dave, even uh, back when I was 17, uh, I really, really was trying to have my own experience and uh and really i think the reason dave and i made friends so fast is because he's on that same track of just being like like you only get one shot at this so just like what's it going to be it, it, it whatever it's going to be is what you decide so jump in and start swimming and uh yeah oh man some people really struggle with it and some people it's so easy for them and i always feel bad for the guys i see struggling with it i wish i could help them make that transition a little bit easier to to being more proactive and and really having that feeling of like I don't know. It's almost, it's almost like, uh, it's almost like I can hear the game clock ticking down, you know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know when the final buzzer is going to be, but like I can, I'm 43. So there's like, you know, there's 43 other years over here. And then it's just like, okay, buddy, it's just clocking down. Well, and like I said, my dad died at 64. Yeah. My grandpa died at a hundred. Now I won't know what genes I got until my 65th birthday. Right. <laughs> Well, it, 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 isn't it, I, I mean, it's so like my biological dad died at 71. My grandfather on that side died at 74. Um, my shipmate who uh, we served together on board ship. Then we were college roommates and we met our wives together and everything else went to each other's wedding. He was in my wedding. I was at his wedding. And it was just, you know, we we're friends. He became a detective. Um, uh, he owned a, he, he opened up an Irish sports bar uh, as well. Cause that's what every cop does. And uh, you know, he, but he had a heart attack, like at 48. And I, I remember at 48 being in the gym, it was a couple of years ago, four years, five years ago. And <clears throat> thinking, do people live past 48? Like, that was my thing. Like, I was like, like, I was at the gym, like scanning the gym, like, okay, there's people older here. Right. Like I, I suddenly had that like panic <laughs> moment, like, oh my God, is that like the time? Like, you know, do we have this? And it, oh gosh i mean but to get people to just own their part of their life dustin you're so spot on i mean that's dave i remember when we first sat at the cop shop right where we're jack and we're sitting at the cop shop you're talking about this film that you're going to do and i thought man who would ever want to be a filmmaker like that just seems like such a horse racket like you got to be crazy 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 right we are, and then, you know, I fell into the trap, right? Like, you know, Chris Nolan calls me out and says, Hey, you want to make a film? I'm like, sure. Why not? And then I'm like, Oh my God, why do people do this? Like, you know, <laughs> this is crazy. But when you're done with it, like you guys are and seeing this thing, it's like giving, you know, I don't want to say it's like giving birth. Cause my wife would be like, you have no idea. It's like, yeah. birth, right. No, it's, but, it's making something and putting it out in the world and letting other people have a look at it. You know, it's, yeah. It's, yeah. 
and then not checking the internet comments. <laughs> yeah, well, don't do that. <laughs> you know, and also we've been pretty fortunate there. It's, again, we haven't gotten wide release. We've just gotten a lot of great comments back and feedback. But, but at some point, I just don't care. You right. know, like, like, so what? Like, we shot yeah, this during, like, the... we shot it during COVID. So there's some parts in there where you're like, well, the sound sounds a little off. What well, you have no idea what we had to do to get it to sound like that. So, you know, like, you can say whatever you want, but I put it out I mean, there the great... and you sat home and ate Doritos. So, I mean, that's the great part about projects is like, okay, I finished that thing. That's done. Now it's a thing. And, and anybody can say whatever they want about it but i did that thing so i don't really like yeah like if you don't if you don't like it that's cool which one did you make yeah yeah that's what I'm talking about <laughs> oh yeah i mean i had that talk with my daughters uh they didn't have an eighth grade track season but they did kind of get to they did some virtual stuff and then they had for the eighth graders just like a citywide track meet like one last hurrah there's one girl on her team never run track not an athlete like at all but just decided I want to do this. And she, I mean, she was losing, you know, by like half a, half a track length like yeah. out there, like walking at the end. And some people in the crowd were like, raw. And so I was telling the girls, I'm like, last time I checked, that girl was out doing it. Yeah. And everyone, everyone making fun of her was sitting there drinking a pop. Like I will yeah. never make fun of anyone actually doing. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so true. And hopefully I mean, this, you know, the past two years has been very re revealing, right? I think it's revealed a lot of people's, you know, character. Uh, I was so busy that I, I didn't get too involved in, you know, the political upheavals of everything, because as you guys know, as filmmakers, there's other more important things that you're working on, uh, you know, not the fall of the country or anything, but um, not that I think we're not close to there, but maybe, but um be fine did, did you get the data yeah we'll be fine there's nothing to see here you know just look over in ukraine right now but um i i have i have such a high respect the the, the unfortunate part of being part of that whole process like uh, uh, like the writing and the filming and the sound and the editing and the special effects and everything like i had to remind myself the kids go to college for this stuff like they they like they want to do this yeah. And I'm sitting here like through half the project going, oh, my God, just beating my head like, you know, four or five times a day getting calls from, you know, Chris Nolan going, hey, we got to do this and we got to do this and then you got to do this and then you got to. I'm like, dude, I can barely turn on my computer, you know, so, you know, uh, and thinking, wow, I have such high respect, like those people should make millions of dollars, like, yeah, because you're not only getting a story out there, but you're making people feel good and you're making impact and everything. Every scene, you guys know it. Every scene that you cut, right? Every second. Every yeah. second is like, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's it's crazy. Like I, I had- oh, Yeah, when you think about like the Avengers movies, those are $250 million corporations to put yeah. together with thousands of employees filming on different, I mean, Game of Thrones filmed on in three different countries in two different continents <laughs> yeah yeah and then people are like well that documentary wasn't like a marvel and you're like well <laughs> let me tell you why so you know you're like i know you expect there to be you know unicorns and pink rainbows flying through this thing too but you know 
I mean, I think as, as storytellers, you know, it's going to relate to a certain audience, right? And I, I think that the beautiful thing that you guys are doing with your story is you're telling the story of certainly the Apaches, which are amazing. I mean, I've got a friend that flew Apaches and did four combat tours and racing OEF, OIF vet. And, um, but that era of Vietnam, which is so misunderstood. And when you look at the Vietnam era vets and when they come back and you see that the majority of them were highly successful. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, more successful those, as a group. Those tropes that we grew up with are totally trash. Yeah. Not at all. The Vietnam vets are, <clears throat> we found that, we found some listing a couple of years ago that was like, uh, here's, here's how successful they are as a group. And here's, you know, their, their rate of suicide is lower than everybody else. And, it just like went through and trashed every every trope we had. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, they're in a, they're a remarkable group of women who served and came home and 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 you know put America through the eighties. Just like, how about some tech explosion and growth? How about some of this? <laughs> how about no, telecom everywhere? It's, yeah, it's wild. Yeah, like to to think about how much they struggled with the radios and how much they struggled with just communication back, back and forth. And, and, and to see them come back to the States and make telecom such a big priority and, and really push communications technology as, as far as humanity goes, is really interesting. Yeah. In my, in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty incredible. I mean, I think the human spirit's incredible to begin with. I mean, sure. I just think that we've been sopped as a nation for so long. Yeah. Um, yep that, you know, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you guys ever saw that show, Hell on Wheels. I don't know if I'm sp supposed to promote other shows on your podcast, but yeah, uh, sure. Hell, on, Hell on Wheels is amazing. Yeah, uh, sure. But it's, it's all about, you know, the railroad yeah. and building the railroad from the east to the west, right? And that whole competition and, you know, this whole land grab thing. And, and the thing that I got out of that whole series was the fact that here we built it with you know, we didn't have strong Indian relationships, right? I mean, there was people getting attacked. We had smallpox, we had disease, we had, you know, I mean, I think the average age somebody lived to was like 42 or something. I don't know. I mean, it was right. I mean, and yet we built the nation on that and we didn't stop the world because there was smallpox. I mean, we just kept going. Like if you got it, well, well, it was your time to go. And so I, I kind of look at it now where I'm like, you know, I, I sailed the world on a floating bomb and you guys want me to be worried about a pandemic. <laughs> okay. I mean, I can't hide from the air. I mean, it's a virus like, you know, and I'm not meaning to be political or downplaying anything that happened with that by any stretch. I'm just saying that there's things in life that are going to happen to people that we have no control over. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so what we have to get really good at is controlling the controllables the things that we can control, what can we control, right? And how do we continue to press forward and move on in life and make impact in a positive way, not a negative way, right? So, yeah. I mean. Yeah. I mean, that's the talk. I, I have two 14-year-old daughters, freshman in high school, like that magic age of insecurity and, <clears throat> you know, meeting new people. And, you know, it's just that talk of like, can you control, can you fix this problem? No all right then you need to acknowledge you can't fix it like can you control this can you not control it if you can control it work towards controlling it but there's some things you just kind of gotta yeah you know, 
stop wasting, you know, stop giving your energy to something you can't change. <laughs> like, yeah. go with the flow. So <laughs> true. It's so true. It's so true. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm impressed with what you guys are doing, though. I, I love that you're telling other people's stories. I love that you're giving people hope out there. I, I, you know, I hope that other people can learn from us. You know, yeah, we are a bunch of guys just sharing information. And and that you know. wasn't even the story we thought we were telling no, when not we at started all. the movie. We thought we were just going to, two guys born after the war, trying to figure out how these veterans were so crapped on compared to every other war and so that's what we started out asking is just learning but after the cameras turned off and seeing that change in them we're like this is the real story story right there is it yeah it's such an interesting yeah humans are amazing yeah the document their their uh the way they think about things yeah well i mean it's no i mean we kind of had the same we were working on this film called uh, the war within which was really to really understand both the internal and external effects that war has on veterans right like what are the internal challenges that we face and what are the external perceptions that we face as well right the, the war within and then when COVID hit it was chris that called up and said we got to do it on vuca and i couldn't remember what the heck vuca stand for you know i'm like what is that so uh, you know, and it's it's an Army War College training, volatility, uncertainty, complexity, ambiguity. And he's like, the whole world's living in VUCA right now, right? And, and I'm like, oh my gosh, so true. Like, how many people, you know, volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous, like, that's everybody, like, everybody's in a VUCA world. But the cool part was, you'd flip that script, and you got vision, understanding, clarity, and adaptability. So how you combat VUCA is with VUCA. Right. So it was like, perfect. I was like, oh, my God, that's a brilliant story. And I think as filmmakers, we learned that there actually had to to be this this futurist idea behind the film, too, because we could tell like, okay, but yeah, where are we going? Like, how does empathy play into this? Right. And you learn that as you sit and listen to your the, the people that you're interviewing and you suddenly go, you have that aha moment like you guys realize, oh, yeah, we're kind of telling this story, but no, we're really telling this other story and that's the power of filmmaking and that's what i love you know what you guys are bringing to the table i mean you know i've I've been fortunate to see some some of the inside track stuff and i think i have a a book back here on it too so yeah it's really cool well and and, go ahead dustin I love Zoom interviews because you never know. They're like, shut up. Now it's my turn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> go ahead, Dave. Well, yeah, I was going to say, I love the extended. No, you go. No, you no, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, when we talk about, you know, with VUCA and, and how we can uh, change that and change your minds, your, your outlook. And a lot of it is how we can help veterans. But again, we are trying to bridge to, and, and that's why it's Michael Barrett told us that we, needed to put ourselves in the movie to be that entrance because it's really easy as a non-veteran to see two veterans talking and thinking okay well i don't i don't understand that world i shouldn't get involved in that world because i don't speak that language yeah for us being non-veterans just going in being like hey would love to hear your story that's something people can relate to but for you as as a veteran as a veteran coordinator from having worked on the film what kind of advice would you give? I, I'm actually going to two-part it. A, to veterans who may be thinking, I want to do more. Like, what can I do? 
advice for them maybe they're just transitioning out of out of the military or been out a couple of years but also to their friends or family members like how can we start bridging this gap and and you know talking about this yeah well i i think it's so important <clears throat> that there is that bridge right i i think you know the difference between veterans and non-veterans is essentially you know the difference between one person saying you know I, i'm going to go ahead and you know serve my country and somebody else saying no i took a different path right so different experience still human that's what right we have to remember that i think that's yeah, the big yeah. piece you know the fact that you're telling the story through the lens of non-veterans is extremely smart because then the audience can see through your eyes right which is so important that's that's kind of what we did through our film is i didn't i didn't act like i was the expert of vuca I, I took the audience on a journey through the, the lens of my family on discovering what is VUCA, right? So right. it's a different approach, right? Like, so every family in America can relate to that, right? It wasn't like, hey, I'm an, uh, an expert on this and you need to listen to me. It was like, I didn't know what the heck I was doing. And I was combating all this volatility and stuff too. And I think as transitioning veterans and civilians, I think... How you bridge that gap is by creating co-vision. So it's so important whether you're a veteran transitioning or a civilian member transitioning is knowing who you are. You know, Simon Sinek talks about the why, and I'm always like, well, yeah, but you got to kind of start with a who, as right. I believe. And, you know, you start with a who and then the why. It's so important. Not discounting that by any stretch, but, you know, who do you want to be? And so then as civilians and veterans, if we're a family, we can say, well, who do we, what does it mean to be us? Like, who are we? Like, what does it mean to be a Merlina? What does it mean to be a sweet? Like, you know, my daughters know what it means to have a family mission statement. Like if you say, what does it mean to be a Schindler? They'd be able to rattle off exactly what our mission statement is, right? I only did that because of my training experience, but I work with every family on that same thing, whether they're a veteran or non-veteran is what's your family mission statement cool that's how you bridge that gap is you get out and yes we have different experiences but um who are we together because you guys have seen things through a different lens than i've seen things and i'm like well, what do we want to accomplish together who do we want to be together well, this is what we want to be we're great so it's it goes back for me like biblical terms it's like the hand you know the you know, the hand can't say to the foot, I'm more important, right? They have different purposes. Yeah. But every part of this body makes up the body. And that's where we have to get to, I believe, as a country, is realizing that regardless of our political beliefs or religious beliefs, et cetera, is we got to be one team, one fight. Mm -hmm. And that's that when I say one team, one fight, that doesn't that isn't just hey veterans. It's just all about us. It's no, it's like one team, one fight. Where are we going? What do we want to do together? And if we can get on co-vision together, golly, we're so unstoppable. It's crazy. Every time the United States decides to do something and is like behind it, it's crazy how fast it happens. Yeah. The whole world jumps along. We just go. Duk, 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 duk. Yeah. We're yeah. going to connect the internet into the everyone in the world with these cables. What? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> 10 years later, we're all talking to each other on Zoom. It's crazy yeah it's great yeah right i mean it's it, we got to get back there that's that's uh, i know david might not have been the perfect answer like i could say well you know everybody's got to go through a, a, a program 
I, I don't believe that. I believe that just people need to sit down and really figure out what does my best year look like? Cool. Yeah. No, that's, yeah, and that's, everyone gives a different answer, and that's what we want people to see, too. There's not one set way to do this. I mean, yeah. it'd be easy if it's like, hey, do these three things, and everyone's a billionaire, like, and that's what I tell my kids, too. Like, you know, if it was an easy to become a billionaire, everyone would be one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? But yeah. there's not one set thing for every single person. Dust and I, for as long as we've known each other and for as close of friends we are, we're not the same person. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. And that's too, I think, you can see like we were uh, in Sedona for the Sedona Film Festival with one of our short films. Oh, I know and, what you guys were doing in Sedona. Yeah, we know. Oh, about yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was a, an amazing festival. Out. Unfortunately, it was the first festival we ever went to. So we thought every festival put you up in Set hotels. And gave you that we're just like, oh, man, this is going to be great. Uh. And then the next festival was like in the drama room of a high school with seven other people. And we're like, something seems different. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. We, were, we were there and you get up for the question and answer period. And so one guy was like, wait a second. You used to be a federal law enforcement officer. And you're wearing an anarchy belt buckle and you're telling me you're friends. I'm like, yeah, because we're humans. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, we're adults. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the power, though. Right. I mean, yeah. that's that's what I loved about the military is what like we could give each other a hard time. Like, I mean, there's things like I could tell stories, but I, I can't have it documented. But there's <laughs> things that we, you know, that we did that. You know, I look back at that. I'm like, oh, my gosh, how do we ever get away with that stuff? And, it, you know, and giving each other a hard time, like stuff like, you know, yeah. I mean, people get crucified today. And and yet we were friends. Yeah. Right. But it was like we were taking things to the edge. Oh, oh, yeah. People people think Gus and I hate each other with our banter. And we're like, no, we're, uh, we've been in each other's wedding. <laughs> yeah. Some of the best moments I've had with Dave in the last 10 years are other people being like, God, you guys are so rude to each other. How are you partners? And we're just like, oh, actually, that idea just sucks. And I'm used to shitty ideas coming out of his mouth. Yeah. <laughs> but since we're not afraid to say that's really dumb. That's the dumbest we, thing I've ever heard. Oh. We don't spend two months on a dumb idea. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, actually, yeah I mean, I'll have screenwriters. We'll be at a conference, something, and they're like, oh, you used to be a cop. Will you read my screenplay? And in my mind, I'm like, I don't want to read your screenplay. Yeah. You know, because if you haven't, like, it falls into a couple things. Like, you actually have some experience, or you're writing it based off what you've seen other people write on. And so sometimes I'll tell them, like, okay, I'm going to tell you a story. And if you laugh at the story, you can probably, because dark humor, like if you don't understand dark humor, don't write a military story. Don't write a cop story. Like just, right. just don't. And so I'm going to, you know, I'll go into my mind and like think of like seven or eight different mess stories that I think are jokes that other people would be horrified by. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I'm going to tell you the story of this real thing that happened. And if you laugh at it, you can write your movie. If you're horrified by it, let's go ahead and find another idea. <laughs> yeah, it's true, right? You just yeah. know what the makeup is. Yeah, you just know what the makeup is. I think it just comes down to listening, though. I mean, if, if I think too many people out there are trying to become somebody that they want, that, that they see, they, they see somebody and they go, I want to be that guy. Instead of going, who am I? Yeah. You know, yeah. I see a lot of that with the Robert Downey Jr. transition. Everybody's like, 
wants to be Robert Downey Jr. in Avengers, but nobody wants to be Robert Downey Jr. 10 years prior when he's, you know, destitute on the street and totally addicted to drugs. Uh, There's steps to get there, man. And like, yeah, yeah. And, and realistically, you know, every one of us, there's, I think we, I think we're living through a weird thing where, you know, there's three times as many people on the planet as when we were born. Right. So, yeah. so there's like extra dudes now. And so it makes us feel kind of, um, not as special because even if you're one in a million there's you know a hundred thousand of you walking around which <laughs> which in my mind i'm like oh i should collect them all together a hundred thousand of me is a very <laughs> intense army uh the the part is like we're all so unique and we're all so individual and that's okay. really what you know your experience sets you apart from everyone else in the world it, and, and nobody's yeah. ever going to have that experience again even if you were having the exact same experience as your twin who's standing just to the left of you, you're going to have the right eye view, you know? And once people, I find that once people really get okay with that, they start answering the who question and, and you're right. You know, the who leads to the why. And once you have a, once you have a real good relationship with who you are and, and then why you are starts to arrive, people get really, really, real, really, really fast. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have identical twin daughters who share the same top level DNA and they are not the same person. <laughs> yeah. It's so true. Right. I mean, p- people are always concerned, like, well, you know, I've got a competitor. I'm like, yeah, maybe, but probably not because y- you will never relate to somebody the same way. Like, yeah. you know, there's a million different, you know, veteran transition programs. And, and I tell guys, listen, you can go to any one. We, you know, there's a lot of things that we do the same as other people. There's a lot of things that we do differently, but you don't get me. And I don't say that as being egotistical or, or cocky or, you know, anything. I'm just like, I'm the difference maker. Like right. if we get along and it's good for you, then, you know, it's going to be amazing. If I'm not the right fit, then that's okay. I'm okay with it. And I, I think, you know, that's the thing that we have to realize as, as, as individuals is we bring something very unique to the table. And we have to embrace those down moments. I loved what you said, Dustin, like people don't want the Robert Downey Jr. you know, 10, 15 years ago, right? When he was, you know, dragging his wagon across the, you know, just trying to figure out where he was going to get his next hit. People don't want to be that guy, but it was that experience that shaped who he is today, right? It it was those, as Carrie and I call it, our lucky moments. Like we've had so many people say, oh, you guys are so lucky. And we're like, you didn't see the time we were cleaning toilets. Like, you know, was that a lucky moment too? Like, you know, you didn't see us when we we're walking around the store with our calculators, trying to figure out how we we're going to pay for groceries. Was, was that a lucky moment? Like, you know, now suddenly we're lucky because why? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you why, because all that led up to here Yeah. and we didn't stop. Right. And that's the key is you just don't stop. Don't stop. Just keep moving until yeah. God plucks you off the planet. And, you know, you wake yeah, up and you're like, wow, this is a pretty amazing castle. I don't have to wash his gross body anymore. So, you know, I, I mean. Well, and everyone is lucky. Not everyone recognizes the luck when it happens. And the same thing happened to me. I mean, the reason that we're here, I'll tell you the reason that we're here making a movie is because I tore up my shoulder in customs 15 years ago. What had happened is I tore it up in training and was kind of going along. And then so finally my doctor, you know, I have a slap lesion, can't be repaired surgically. It was defensive tactics. I picked a guy up 
and pushed him back down and my shoulder just went boop mm. and you know, I continued on. Finally, my doctor said, look, you can do the required stuff. But if it's, you know, someone in DC is like, I think it would be great if we had them wrestle with their batons, you know, it's like stuff like that is like, yeah. no, like if you screw up your shoulder again, it's, it's done. Yeah. And so went to the range. I'm like, I can do the required stuff. But like this whole, you know, people sitting at a desk thinking we can do these awesome things. No. And so they kicked me off the range. And they're like, well, I want to deal with you. And I was like, all right, then I'm out of here. Um, and, and it was, they're like, well, you know, you either do this or we're going to take your gun. And I was like, here, well, here you go. I'm like I'm out. And yeah. they were so shocked that I called their bluff. I'm like, really? Cause my dad died three months ago and I've been pondering life anyway. And you're going to pull this yeah. like I'm out. And so then a week after I left, we found this thing for a directing school down in LA, like a two day intensive went down, met that uh, Darren Scott, who's one of the driving forces of this movie because we're at the bar with him when we were offered this and he was stirring his drink. And he's like, well, let me, and we're asking him, like, should we do this? We've never done a doc. And he was stirring his drink. And he just looked at us like, well, I've got one question for you and you can answer this and we'll tell you if you should do the movie. He's like, are you stupid? <laughs> like, I don't think so, but you know, and he's like, cause you're stupid if you don't do this. Wow. And so all of that happened because I tore up my shoulder in customs and I'll tell you what, I did not go home that night and look at the ceiling and think, I am so lucky. This is the best thing that ever happened to me. <laughs> yeah. And that's something though, but you carried it on. I mean, that's, that's, it, you're one of those guys that actually went to school for it. And I'm one of the guys that got sucked into it. Right. I mean, you, you purposely asked for the punishment, Dave. So I have no sympathy for you when it comes to filmmaking at all like i got dragged into it like i like i didn't like go hey i'm gonna go to school for this because i think it'd be no, really don't cool. blame him i i, I drug him along with me i was like no no it's great you're gonna love this because the whole time he was the whole time <laughs> oh. he was doing oh doing so you're you're dave i was uh i was doing animation and i was like you're don't worry don't worry this is, this is, is that right thing. That is so funny. Well, that was Chris. Chris is like, no, this is going to be great. You're going to be in a film. And I'm like, well, I don't know that I necessarily want to be in a film. And then, and you know, and then he just wouldn't stop. Like, okay. All right. <laughs> I'm going to keep going. Power. You know, I mean, you know, just call this guy and call this guy and call this guy. And then you, before you know it, you're like, oh my God, there's so many amazing people in there. How do we get all these amazing people? And then, and then, and then you start to create the story and you see the impact it has on people, right? As a storyteller. And you're like, oh my gosh. We could move people to a new place. Like, can we inspire people to be like, Dave, it's never easy. I can't even imagine like Dustin, you're, you know, being in that field, that's crazy. I think you're just crazy, but I mean, that's, you get the haircut that goes along with it, but, <laughs> but for Dave to go from a federal job that has like a paycheck sure, and then, you know, like in a pension and healthcare and to go, yeah, I'm going to make a documentary. I mean, like I knew I wasn't set out for corporate. Like I knew that 15 years ago, right? Like when I left corporate America I, and I just knew that I was a project management guy. I just knew that that that's the way it was going to be. Uh, so I, I wasn't really, but I remember that first day of walking out without not having a paycheck. Right. I mean, I, I remember that. Yeah. Thinking, that's a real thing, man. You, <laughs> everything gets a little tighter. You start walking with your hips forward a little more because the back end's all clenched up. Yeah. Yeah. Start yeah. thinking about all the things that are coming due 60 days out. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, and and Michael Barrett thinks that, you know, the way the movie is coming along, that it can compete for awards um, and, a, you know, good chance to, to, you know, be on the platforms. And people are going to look at it and be like, wow, this is their first feature film because we were screenwriters before this. And we've done short films. They're like, oh, their first feature film. And look how great it's doing. I'm like, yeah, but you didn't see me sitting up at midnight watching YouTube videos on how do I use Premiere Pro? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Isn't that something that, I, you know, that's even more impressive to me, Dave, that you guys did that because the advantage I had is I had Chris Nolan, right? So he knew all that stuff. Like I, I didn't like Premiere Pro. I didn't even know that that was a program. Like, you know, and then he's showing me how you, you, you do it all and you put it all in. I'm like, this is how you make film? He's like, oh yeah, no, that's how you make. Oh, yeah, this is totally how it goes. This no is problem. this is the exciting stuff. Is you're dragging your cursor trying to find where to cut, and you hear the the dialogue. Woo, 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 yeah. woo, woo. My hey, wife, like, my wife's like, can you put on the headphones? Because it's just <laughs> back. Oh the my head. gosh! Well, and then so we got signed by Gravitas, and then you know when it goes through Apple, like it's coming out on Apple, but Apple has their whole procedure that you go through. So they're like, man, it's a little hot in this area. We need new stems. And I, I didn't know what stems were. Like, I, I didn't know what any of this stuff meant. Like, we're just, you know, we're just starting to bite off the um, deliverables sandwich. <laughs> They're like, here's the things you're going to need. And we're like, okay, I'm going to need to fly up to Spokane and we're going to have to sit down and sort this out. <laughs> yeah. See, and I think you guys, I mean, it's, yeah, Chris and I did it all via Zoom. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, because he's in Santa Monica and I'm here in, you know, Seattle area and, and, uh, and then COVID. Yeah. And they were kind of really concerned and I didn't no, want to really, go into communist yeah. California. So, you know, I, you can edit that part out, but it, you know, everyone knows. Everyone yeah. Knows. <laughs> yeah. So what an amazing experience. I mean, to think that you guys came together, did this and that you're actually doing it, like you're doing, like, I just had to figure out how to make cameras work and, you know, write script and, you know, and I've written a couple books. So, you know, script writing wasn't too difficult for me. Oh and man. Isn't it a fun switch into script mode? I love, I love that. Like, you can't okay. see it. You can't say it. Can't, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's true. I mean, there was things that like, you know, we rented the, the, uh, the more theater. We had that for a day and we shot oh, there. Yeah. It's well, some, it's some, Where'd you shoot? I, I worked there for like one of my first jobs. Well, we shot on the main stage. Oh, nice. So, nice. Um, so yeah. So you'll, you'll see, you'll see scenes there um, that, uh, that are actually in the film. Cool. That are, that, and you see us pan the theater. Oh gosh. You guys hear the dog in the background. Um, uh, you see that stuff. Um, but so we'd have the script and then uh, Chris in the middle because he's directing via remote, he's he's saying, uh, no, 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 I want to cut that. Let's do it this way. And, and I'm like, what? Like, I, I just spent, like, last night, like, memorizing that script. And, you know, we only have the more for, like, a couple hours. So, you, you know, and then, just, oh, no, we're just going to change this whole scene. I'm like, oh, my God. I, you know, and then I can't get the teleprompter. Like, there's parts in the movie that as you go through it, you're like, it, there are so many like people are like did you have a teleprompter i'm like oh kinda but it would stop working like halfway through and i'd had, just have to keep winging it because i knew that we were on a time you know i'm like oh my god let me just you know 
that is the stuff that I think people have to realize in life that what they see in the movie isn't always what they see. Right. Right. Or and what, what they anybody s- planned. You know? Right. Or what anybody planned. And, and, and if you take that same philosophy and apply it in your life, like we always try to script our life, like, well, this is ideally what we want it to happen. Right. And I, we say, write your story, but understand that other people are writing on the pages of your story. Right. So you just have to adapt. You have to be adaptable. So, I mean, I, I, again, from a movie line, but I say it to my girls all the time, improvise, overcome, adapt. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you to, uh, to a heartbreak ridge for that one. (laughs) (laughs) It's a classic, which I, I, unfortunately I think is probably lost on a generation or two. I I don't yeah, my, my daughter's like, when did this movie come out? I'm like, mm, 1985. Oh my God, it's so old. You know? Yeah, we're getting there. We're at that yeah. place where the things that we think are like totally normal are like the classic television channel, like Turner Classic Movies is starting to have things that I think were like yesterday. Right. <laughs> the, the quote unquote classic rock stations with Pearl Jam on them and Nirvana. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Like my, my daughters my will like, say like, yeah, yeah. My daughters will be like, "Oh, that old movie," and I'll tell them like, "You need to pick your next words very carefully." Right. <laughs> maybe well, think to myself, "Oh man, what kind of sick cane am I gonna get? I gotta start shopping <laughs> for canes. Like, a, I want to have a cool hat and a good cane." Uh, go with your anarchy belt buckle, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, that's, that's so great. Guy. I need a new one. Well, for our audience, you know, we've talked about your movies coming out March 1st. Where can they find it? Yo, they'll be able to find it on like Amazon Prime, uh, Dish Network, Comcast, YouTube. Uh, gosh, it's also going to be on, um, oh, what's what's the big ones? Uh, shoot, what are the big ones? Um, yeah, Amazon Prime's a pretty big one. I mean. <laughs> yeah, I guess that is a big one. Um, uh uh apple i guess apple's yeah. the other one apple I've, I've heard of them yeah that, that, uh, i mean there's a couple others that are there that i think are east coast you know and and it's going to be up in canada as well so we kind of got that uh we got lucky there and it's um, called it's called vuca or it, it's vuca yeah, yeah. Okay. the the secret to living in the 21st century and vuca being it's vuca so my daughters run around and i even do this now is when we have a horrible moment we're like oh yeah it's just vuca right because that triggers on our brain so how do we get through it now well with vuca how do we gain vision through this how do we gain understanding of this situation and clarity and how do we adapt because this right here is you know something that we didn't expect right and so Instead of saying, oh, that's karma or, oh, that's just, you know, Fubar. <laughs> you know, yeah, Fubar or S happens, you know, it's Fuka. It's Fuka, you know, so call it a Christian cuss word, I guess. You know? It's just Fuka. So. <laughs> nice. Yeah. All right. Well, um, any party, we always give the floor to our guests. Any Anything we maybe didn't cover for, you know, advice, uh, anything like that. Um, I'm going to give the floor to you, Mike. Uh, Dustin, I let say a couple words every once in a while. <laughs> yeah, no, Dustin and Dave, I, I would just say that uh, people just need to understand who they are. I mean, that's the biggest piece of advice that I can give them is do the work to understand who you are. Like, look in that mirror and who do you see? And if you don't know, do the work to find out. And, you know, surround yourself with great people 
and be willing to listen. And that's what I love about you guys doing. And, and for those of you who are thinking you should join the Navy, I'd say, yes, I am Mike Schindler. I am a proud U.S. Navy veteran, served the world's greatest Navy. And I didn't fly cool jets, but you can still do some pretty amazing things. In but there is a chance you could fly there's cool jets. There's a chance. You're saying there's a chance. There's a chance. <laughs> Or you could be on a 50-year-old boat that shakes when you go above 20. Miles. <laughs> you could be. Oh, Lord. Yeah, Don't worry. It might you. explode. It's going to be yeah. fine. It's going to be fine. It'll all work out. You won't know. It happens. Yep. So, you know. Yep. And, you know, like I tell my, my daughters, and they're like, oh, don't you worry about this. Don't you worry about that. I'm like, all I can be is me. That's if someone it. else doesn't like it, that's kind of more their problem than mine. I'm not that's saying that I go through life as an asshole, but... Well, yeah, I try not to, but <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> every once in a while, you got to pull it out. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's so true. You guys yeah. are great, man. Best of success on your film, too. Hey, thanks so much. Best of luck on yours, man. I'm really excited to watch it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, guys. And thank you to the audience for still being with us. Um, you know, go ahead and give us a like, give us a uh uh, a follow tell your friends tell your enemies i don't really care as long as they follow us um you know you can find us wherever wherever you find your podcasts in terms of uh we're on apple we're on spotify uh, sorry we don't we don't have enough fu money in the world to pull ourselves off spotify we need the support <laughs> um, that's great on down the list um but thank you so much for joining us go ahead and stay on mike we'll uh We'll do a little wrap up after after we leave the audience here and uh, find my cursor. It disappears. There it is. All right. Let's and... pretend like I'm doing it. All right. Go ahead, Dustin. Let's see your uh, uh, Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, Gotta get closer to the camera. Oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> All right. Perfect. You've been listening to the Know Their Story podcast. If you made it this far, we must be doing something right. Let us know by subscribing to our channel. And think about sitting down with the veterans in your life, because saying thank you for your service should be the beginning of the conversation, not the end.